come fight me. You really want to say you're number one, come fight me. Let's get it on. I've got the rest of the belt. So it only makes sense. That proves that I'm the unified heavyweight champion of the world. He's the WBC champion of the world. And what that will prove me and him fighting is that there'll be one dominant figure in the heavyweight division that will have all of the belts and become undisputed. So logically it says to prove yourself as number one, I have to fight Tyson Fury. He has to fight Andy Joshua. And it will cause for a, a, a great announcement after this whole pandemic we're facing right now. And welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. So you've just heard the introduction where Anthony Joshua is now calling out Tyson Fury. And as a boxing fan, I'm like, thank you. Fantastic. This is what I want to see in the pandemic. Ideally, they would have gone face to face on Instagram Live. I think that would have broadened the reach. I just don't believe anyone's watching Sky Sports at the moment, if we're being honest. Put your hands up if you're watching Sky Sports, because I'm pretty much welded to BT Sport at the moment who seem to, through the link-up with ESPN, just seem to have that better content. You know, because we watch Sky so much for its live content, we've kind of seen everything with Sky. There's no hidden dimension. There's no hidden content archive they can go to. Whereas BT have simply said to ESPN, give us some stuff the British viewers haven't seen before. So I've got to watch OJ Simpson Made in America and all the other ESPN 30 for 30s get to watch some of the NFL documentaries, the NBA documentaries. And so it's brilliant. Just some of the ESPN content is light years ahead of what we're doing in Britain. And I hope after this, we'll realise that, as my friend Riku calls it, the shoulder content that sits on the side of live broadcasting is just as important. And it's how you build a franchise that fans will come to and are willing to pay for. Don't forget, this time next year, we're going to have a full-on assault from DAZN and Maybe this is what DeZone will also learn. But back to Joshua. I found it interesting, and I'm not going to poo-poo the fact that he's calling out Tyson Fury. For where we're at right now, this is a fight that does need to happen. But I find it intriguing that you never had this energy with Deontay Wilder. He, he'd kind of skirt around the issue, and he'd say things like, Wilder has to fight me. He'd say things like, you know, I don't know if Wilder wants it. There was always this kind of, Joshua would never call Wilder out. And then you start to ask yourself, why is that? And the truth is this. Deontay Wilder is the worst nightmare for both Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. If you look at those guys as a three, Tyson would happily fight Joshua a hundred times out of a hundred. And the reason for that is Tyson knows he can beat him a hundred times. He's not sure. With Wilder, you might, you know, fight. Look, if Tyson fights Wilder 100 times, he might win 60 of them. The other 40, he might get knocked out cold. That's the cold, hard reality. So Tyson's in a position now where he can manage his career, manage his legacy, because he can say, look, Klitschko, Joshua, Wilder, all beaten by the Gypsy King. That makes me the greatest of my generation. That makes me one of the greatest of all time. And I don't think there's an argument against that. That puts him in that Lennox Lewis category. Joshua 
on the other hand, is now looking at it saying, had I fought Wilder, there's a chance I could have been knocked into oblivion and maybe never been the same man again. Fury beating Wilder has solved my problem for winning the undisputed title. Because Joshua will be confident he can overpower Tyson Fury. That's really where this is coming from. Wilder's got that, that single shot power. And he's got that reach and it's good. He's got the whip effect. We know how devastating his punches are. But what Joshua's got is that sustained aggression and he's got the, the bulk to be able to move Fury around. Is he the strongest heavyweight in the world? Probably not, but he's strong enough to be a physical threat to, to Tyson Fury. And he's strong enough to impose himself on someone like Tyson Fury. That's not impossible. But then Tyson also looks at Joshua as being quite one-dimensional and easy to tame and easy to maneuver, easy to control. So in that sense, those two are happy that they have to fight each other for Undisputed. That's the easiest gig. But the winner of that's going to have to fight Wilder. And I genuinely believe the further away we get from Fury versus Wilder 2, the stronger Wilder will become for it. Because the most damage is normally done right in the beginning. So I think when Wilder gets his confidence back and he gets his self-belief back and his love for the game back and he cuts out all the nonsense and hopefully gets a couple of good trainers in who can help him. Then there's a chance for Wilder to evolve. But I don't think he has to evolve. I think Wilder has to just regress. I'd like to see Deontay Wilder go back to the guy that fought Stavern, where the punches were coming around the corner, were coming from places you wouldn't predict. He became too predictable against Tyson Fury. And this is what happens when you listen to people on Twitter. This is what happens when you listen to pundits. Pundits will always force you towards something that they're comfortable with and that they understand not realising that actually what you were doing was rewriting the rules. And against Fury in the second fight, he was terrible. When, when he realised what Tyson was doing, he didn't have it in him and he didn't have the confidence in his own ability to just go back to the guy that beats Stavern. I think had he gone back to that guy, you know, high punch output, you know, high degree of mobility, I think he'd have given Tyson more problems. I don't know if he would have beaten him. I can't say that, but he would have given him more problems. And these are the things that Joshua looks at with Fury and goes, if I don't take a backward step, then Fury will have to stop me. But I think I can grind him down. If Otto Violin can cut him, and I beat him in the amateurs, I think it was a Harringay box cut, then if he can do it, anyone can do it, to quote Porky. So it was interesting to see the energy Joshua's got for this fight. Now, and I also think he's under pressure now, because now people are looking at it saying, you made your excuses for Wilder, and we managed to, to blag our way around there. Then you said you weren't going to fight Fury because he didn't have a belt. And you really just wanted the belts. Now he's got a belt. So now you can have that energy. So I, like I said at the beginning, I get where this is coming from. I'm just disappointed he wasn't this proactive when it came to Wilder holding the belt. But I also want to see how proactive they are making this fight happen. I don't want to hear about any of this Joshua brings more to the table. That's no longer true. This is a fight for undisputed. Therefore, you need two people. It's a 50-50 split. I can't entertain an argument to the contrary of that. Simply because they were Fury's belts to begin with. This is Joshua's chance at validation. Because the belts Joshua's got, Fury's held already. Joshua's never held the green belt. So how bad does he want to hold that green belt will be the question. But let's see what happens. I, I, don't think, I don't think Pulev will want to step aside. I think Pulev wants his go. He, he wants that fight. 
Bob Arum wants that fight in-house. That's where the money's at. And Wilder wants Pulev to win as well. Why? Because it keeps everything on, on the US side of things. But it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because you never know if Joshua's just chasing clout. You don't know if he's just chasing publicity because he was active as well talking about, you know, the, the veteran who raised 14 million. You know, fair play, you know. That's how you earn 14 million. That's how you get the public to pay 14 million, not fighting Joseph Parker, you know, but that's just a side note. But look, let's just dwell on the positive of this. At least Joshua's come out and said, this is the fight that I want and I want to make it happen. And if he's saying he wants to make it happen this year, then make it happen this year. Yeah. Hearn says you're the money man in the division, therefore you can make anything happen you want. So let's see if you go running back behind your mandatories. But uh, I also wanted to talk about Terry Harper. So in a boxing context, I don't really speak about Terry Harper. Not anything that interests me. Um, until, until I see her fighting the Jonases and Natasha Camerons, the Ellie Scott, until she's fighting people that I can recognise, I have no interest in her career. And that's not me taking a shot. It's I'll be interested when I need to be. But I like Terry Harper and I like her hustle. Right? I respect the hustle. I respect the grind. And she's making a life for herself. And I respect that 100%. So what Terry Harper does, which is within her gift, everyone's got time on their hands. TikTok's becoming a thing now. And the growth of TikTok in this lockdown. Wow, I wish I had shares now. So she does a TikTok video. And I think a lot of female boxers are doing it. And it's showing, look, I'm a fighting woman. But I can dress up and I can be glamorous and I can be attractive. Right? I'm on board with that. I, I think the duality that fighting women have to navigate is one of the hardest things to do in our society. So we have women capable of great violence. Make no bones about it. Terry Harper could do a lot of damage if she decided to attack someone. So there's that. And it's a feature we typically associate with hyper-aggressive males. So... Female fighters have to balance that energy with the fact that they also want to be seen and considered and respected as women. And all the multiple dimensions that constitute that. That doesn't mean you walk around in a bikini necessarily, nor does it mean you need 50 kids around you, right? The diversity of cultures, sexualities, religions, whatever, mean that the idea of femininity isn't fixed. But it's managing that duality between the extreme violence we associate with hyper-aggressive hyper males and what we see in women and what is naturally within women, the desire to care, to, to be respected, to be loved, to be cared for, to be made to feel safe and all. And so these videos are meant to capture that. I have no problem with that. I'll watch them and I'll support the ladies doing their thing, man. Fair play to them. So she does this. And now I think the caption on the video is a bit wrong, but I understand where it comes from. What she's saying to all those people who think I look like a man. And I can understand the video being a response to those guys. But I don't feel she needs to do that. I feel she can move beyond that and just say, look, I'm Terry Harper. I'm on the road to success as a boxer. Here's me in all my multiple shades, hues, flavors. You know, if you support me, fantastic. If you don't, at least respect me. I get that. So... That's where the trolls jump in, and it's needless. And, and I know because I've been trolled before, I still get trolled. And why the people feel the need to do things, I don't understand. So there's a Twitter user, goes by the name of Sam B. 
Twitter handle is samb93. Don't even know what that means. Does not interest me, right? And when I saw what he tweeted, it wasn't funny. It wasn't. It was like a Billy Joe sort of tweet where in his head he probably thought it was funny, but it's just an incredibly bad taste. So the poor guy, the poor guy goes, and I don't, I, I can't get into the mind of a Twitter troll. So he says, went from looking like a bloke in a tracksuit to a bloke in a dress. Went from looking like a bloke in a tracksuit to a bloke in a dress. Why, why would you say that to a female athlete of all things? Like, we're not, there's no debate about, you know, Terry Harper looks like a woman. You may not find her attractive. That is your gift. That is your right not to find her attractive. Is she my cup of tea? <laughs> she isn't, but I think people, people will cite my history and say I've done worse in my life. And they're probably right. I probably have. But Terry Harper's not someone where if she was in a magazine, I'd need to linger on the page for too long. But that's just a personal opinion. Respect what she's doing. I love her hustle. So for this guy to do that is, it's in bad taste, it's trolling, it's all the things that are wrong with Twitter. Now, we need to move away from that. We just need to move away from it. Like I've said earlier, Terry Harper's not my cup of tea. There are many female athletes that aren't my cup of tea. But then someone said to me once, do you find Cyborg attractive? I said, in a strange sort of way, yeah. But then there are other female fighters I don't find attractive. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of humanity. We can like and not like what we choose. But to, to subject someone to that, and whatever people talk about, I've said this to people, I've said this to you guys before, boxers are inherently insecure. Think how insecure you have to be to say, for me to feel good, I have to risk myself getting knocked out. For me to get the love of my family, the love of my friends, the love of my community, I have to put my body on the line. Think how insecure you have to be for that to make sense to you and you get into the mind of a fighter. So it's, like I said, the duality. You see the, the tough exterior on fight night and in the interviews you see the super confidence. But at home, when you're back to being normal Terry or normal Dave Allen or... You know, normal boxer X, could be Ted Cheeseman, could be Scott Fitzgerald. When you're back to being a human being like we all are, and you read those sorts of things, it touches you. You pretend it doesn't, but it touches you. Not because it's right, but because no one wants to hear that said about them. We have to live with who we are and how we look every day. We know it's not perfect, whoever you are. We don't need reminding of it. And we definitely don't need reminding of it from people who are in no position to judge. That's the sad thing. In you projecting your own unhappiness onto someone else, you make their life a misery. And what I, what I did love about Twitter is how quickly people banded around Terry Kelly. So big shout out to Franchon Cruz Desern and a lot of the other female boxers and supporters of female boxers for getting right behind her because... We need to let people know that Terry Harper 
is someone who entertains us through fighting. She doesn't entertain us through giving us a window into her life. Respect how she lives. Judge her on her performance in the ring. Everything else, that's for her to decide. Let's not make her life any harder than it currently is. But then all of this creates this, this weird sort of effect on social media, which is we're going to punish the bully by bullying him, I, which I've never understood. I don't understand that logic. So, so the kid's been outed. I'm not going to say his name because I don't think it's fair on him, but he's a kid from West Sussex. It could be Brighton. It could be anywhere. He looks like a young kid. I mean, probably, probably three brain cells keeping each other company in his head. But now what's happened is that, that crowd has turned on him. And it's almost as if to say, well, if you can be horrible about someone, we can be horrible about you. How about we all just stop being horrible? You know, I've seen Steffi Bull trying to act the big man and the tough guy, you know, and, and, and he's going to feel protective over Terry Harper. And I get that. But saying to someone, yeah, I'll pay you a thousand pounds to do six rounds with Terry Harper well, to prove what exactly? He's not a, he's not a trained boxer. He's not going to know what to do in the ring, for God's sake. It's a stupid thing to say, but it's a standard Steffi Bull thing to say, fronting like you're tougher than you are. There's a time, listen, I've seen Steffi Bull in person, and he knows, man. Like, he's not, he, he's not about that life. Like, he may pay people to do that, so I don't know what he does. But he's not about that life. So him being on that threatening thing, I don't get. I, I get, look, be protective of a Terry Harper by all means, but... Remember, at all times, we're representing the sport of boxing. So you pretending to be a tough guy and a gangster that, that you're not. Anthony Fowler jumping in, which I understand because he's probably got a relationship with Terry Harper from the international setup. And I get that. But remember, you're representing boxing before anything else. So when you're out there making these threats and trying to intimidate, it does nothing for the sport. It does nothing to convince the borderline fans that somehow this is a welcoming church. So my question goes back to the people. What do, what do you gain by bullying the bully, apart from to perpetuate it and to validate that he was right to do what he was doing because now he's entrenched in his views? And the reason I'm making a big deal about this is I want female fighters to rise up. I did an episode on Ellie Scottney, and I like Elle. Elle and I, you know, I mean, we message each other a lot, got a lot of love and respect for Elle. And I love how she's hustled in this lockdown to build her profile, even before having a fight. Other boxers take note. But we need to create a space for women's boxing to grow. And that means we need to kill this narrative that female boxers are men because they're capable of violence. It's not true. And I think that deep down reflects an insecurity in the average man when they go, here's a woman that I couldn't dominate physically. So what, man? Like, there are many women you can't dominate physically. You know, I could reel off a list of women you can't dominate physically because they're quite strong women in their own right. Um, Sarah Robles, Robles, whatever she was, of course, her. shouts out to Sarah. She's an Olympic weightlifter. If you want to go on her Instagram, you'll see her front squatting 200 kilos. That's an elite level lift, whatever gender you are. Um, there's a young lady, Chloe Wiley. Shouts out to Chloe Wiley. She's a British weightlifter and powerlifter. Beautiful as anything but she'll pick you up and press you over her head. There are women who are capable of these things. Where, and it doesn't matter how they get to that point. The fact is they exist. Listen, you can go to Nigeria and you can go to Jamaica and there'll be some 25 stone women who will ragdoll you for fun. And you'll wonder where the hell that strength came from. 
Don't be intimidated because someone can do something you can't do as a man. Just don't be. Believe in yourself and believe in your journey and you'll be fine. But this bullying has to stop. We need to create a, a, a space for female boxing to grow and it can't start from the narrative of they're all men. Now, I've talked about this before and said the number of lesbians in boxing means that it's hard for it to appeal to a mainstream market that's used to heterosexual women or at least the illusion of heterosexual women being available, right? Your Anna Kornikovas, your Maria Sharapovas and so forth. They're the ones that make all the money. That's just the reality of sports marketing. So boxing's got that, that the not over-representation because if you're there, you're there, but the large numbers of, of lesbians in the sport may make it hard, but still we must create a space for it to grow where you can come in and be respected for the fact that you're a fighter. And then all these other things become secondary considerations. We're not going to bother about that. It's just about the fight. That's what I buy my ticket for. That's why I buy my pay-per-view. That's why I tune in. I don't tune in for the lifestyle. Because I don't pay for the lifestyle. Well, indirectly I do, but I'm actually purchasing the product. And the only thing, I, and I didn't even realize this, so Eddie Hearn's involved in this as well. You know, Steffi, Steffi Hardman Bull makes an offer of, I'll put you up in a hotel, pay your grand to do six rounds with Terry Harper. Eddie Hearn's like, I'll offer four grand and it can all go to the NHS. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't painting boxing in a good light. Like, these are the sort of trolls that we should just be addressing, getting them banned and moving on. Like, we're a sport that's struggling to grow. We're a sport that struggles for relevance outside of the the top five or six names, you know, no one else is really making that kind of money that justifies getting your head punched in. And we've got Eddie Hearn, it's just, and maybe it's just being in isolation that's made us all kind of act outside of ourselves, but it is a bit cringeworthy because ultimately it dilutes from the fact that Terry Harper deserves the right to be judged as a boxer and nothing else. Unless she chooses to offer up something else, then that's up to her then we will judge that too. But right now, we've got to judge her as a boxer and that's where it's got to stop because that's what she signed up for. But I just want to lighten the, loot, lighten the mood. Ooh, need to say loot there. Just want to lighten the mood and talk about Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders because it's come up from Eric Gomez that no contract was ever signed. So... <laughs> so... The zone have kind of pulled rank already and said Canelo Triple G3 has to happen. And all the noise has been that Canelo Triple G3 will happen in September. And as much as Eric Gomez likes to say, yeah, you know, Billy Joe's one of the names in consideration, I just don't think anyone's got a point. No one's got a choice about who they fight at the moment for no other reason than everyone's trying to make their money back. So September will be Billy Joe versus Ken, uh, no, will be Canelo versus Golovkin, right? That leaves Billy Joe out of the picture. And I think that leaves Billy Joe out of the picture for a while. Now, if you look at it, Golden Boy will want Canelo to fight twice. So you go, okay, what are the two biggest fights we can make? Triple G, because the fans want to see Canelo beaten by Golovkin. So they will pay for that. 
And then you look at a growth market like the zone has in Japan and you go, we'd want to have a fight in Japan just to grow that footprint and almost to say thank you to these guys for holding it down for us. So that leaves Billy Joe out the cold for this year. And the irony is Billy Joe, <laughs> Billy Joe's having a Frank Warren career on Matchroom. <laughs> You, you can't make this up, can you? Like, we're still talking about this guy having his best wins against David Lemieux and Andy Lee. We're still talking about that in 2020. And it goes to show, man, karma will find you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, karma will find you. And at some point, Billy Joe's got to stop taking, putting his foot squarely in his mouth. He's got to remove that and realize this is a business. And before anything else, Canelo's a consummate businessman. He understands exactly where his career needs to go to make the money that he wants to make. Billy Joe's a small part of that because he's the, he's the most changeable part in this whole Canelo machine. They don't need him. Billy Joe doesn't have the, the CV of a Danny Jacobs. He doesn't even have the reputation for entertaining fights like a gay brasado. So look out for Callum Smith versus Billy Joe Saunders because I can't see there being any other fight on the table for Billy Joe right now. I just can't. The Andrade fight, I don't think Billy can be bothered to make 160 anymore. So what do you do? It's a career that's disappearing fast towards oblivion. Like in rugby, there's an expression, I think they call it bin juice. And essentially what bin juice represents are those players who you thought would be better than they were. And so you always end up talking about that player and how good they could have been. You never talk about how good they actually were. And I worry that Billy Joe's now drifting into that, that binge juice character, that character, oh God, I'm having a shocker. That category of fighter where we look and go, he should have been so much better than he was. I just want to, <laughs> I want to end on the maddest thing I've, I've seen today. And it, it's kind of boxing related, but tangentially. So, you're about to hear the words of a guy called David Rodriguez. So David Rodriguez is a former boxer. I know he was signed to Don King for a while. Old, like quintessential journeyman boxer. You know the kind of guy who has had loads of fights, loads of wins, but you wouldn't recognize his record. You're like, ah, who's this guy for? Just the standard big man journeyman sort of guy. But I was just listening to this and I was like, how on earth does a boxer get involved in this sort of discussion? I don't really know. But then ultimately... This is what makes our sport super interesting. In this, but this is the truth, man. There is a big sting operation going down. It's happening, and I'm telling you, man, these pedophile rings are getting taken down. It's uh, Hollywood ain't cool anymore. Hollywood's going down, and I still talk to my sources, and I still talk to people that are involved. And listen, there is a big operation going down, and they're and they're getting taken out, and. Every day is confirmation to me when it's, it's a secretive thing, but I think it's going to come out. They say it's going to come out on the media um, when it's all said and done. And I think what's going to happen is going to really shock a lot of you. I mean, a lot of you are going to kind of brush off and be like, well, I always knew it was there, but I don't think you understand how prevalent these pedophile rings really are in Hollywood and in, um, in the sports arenas in 
Hollywood in the political arena, I mean everywhere, man, it's bad. And it's it's uh, human trafficking, you know, and sex trafficking is the hottest thing, that biggest commodity right now. And I think um, once this all comes out to the surface, a lot of you are going to be disgusted and and feel very dirty for even knowing the information. Um, I got to tell you, a lot of you don't like Trump, but he's doing the right thing right now. This guy is uh, spearheading this whole thing, and it's it's an amazing thing to watch. They're going after the cartels, for the human trafficking. They're going after the child pedophilia rings. Look, all these roads lead to Clinton Foundation in Haiti. They lead to... I'm trying not to give away too much information, but... Um, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, we all know he didn't kill himself. Uh, Harvey Weinstein is dropping massive amounts of information. Um, there's a lot. <sighs> and this is why you don't want boxers talking about anything other than boxing. Now, I have no idea if his claims are true or not. I don't think any of us have enough information to make that decision. What I do know for absolute certain is you play a risky game when you start making videos like that. And it's always boxers that like to become experts in other things. And then when people try and become experts in boxing, they're quick to remind you of your lowly place on the food chain. And I think maybe someone needs to remind David Rodriguez about his lowly place on the food chain. This is one of those scenarios, it's like anything else, boxing, politics, whatever. If you don't have the evidence to hand, it ain't going to work. It's the same way that no one's ever found evidence on Eddie Hearn because Eddie Hearn flies pretty straight in his business affairs. Now, what he does outside of those, you know, we hear rumors, but no one's ever fronted up with proof of what he gets up to. No one's ever fronted up with proof as to what the rest of the sky and the BT lot get up to because rest assured, we know for absolute certain there's an entertainment budget. Now, how the entertainment budget gets spent that's anyone's guess but the key thing is just I only put that in there for a bit of light relief and just to say look you know boxing has its own fair share of crackpots you know whether he's right or wrong man that's just the maddest thing I've heard in a while but on the subject of Eddie Hearn I don't know if anyone's seen the Eddie Hearn fighting fit series well because he, he had his episode and like people say that I'm a Hearn hater but I can tell you this now that guy is weak like, what they call it? Weak sauce. Weak juice. He is weak. For a guy who walks around at six foot five and 17 and a half stone, like, he kind of embarrassed the, the big boys. So hopefully he's going to up his game and next time we see him, man, he's not going to be such, a, such an embarrassment to the 100 plus kilo crew, man. Like, you know, we, we take our strength seriously. Once you get above 100 kilos, if you're not lifting houses and cars, man, we don't recognize you. You're an interloper. Look, guys. It's Friday. So one thing I do want to say to you is have a great weekend. I appreciate everybody that tunes in, shows love, shows support, engages. What I am going to do is I'm going to pick someone who's not in my, my circle of friends. I'm going to do a podcast with them. Just get it out there. Maybe next week, maybe the week after. And then just have someone who doesn't really know me from Adam, but is familiar with the content. And then, see, I mean, let, let them put me on the ropes for a bit. Like I say, I don't mind it, man. Like it's, all, it's all entertaining. Like it's all, you know, we're in a current sort of drought of good boxing content, but not here. Here's where the quality has been consistent. 
week in, week out, never let you down, will not let you down. Other podcast outlets may think that, oh, this is my time to do a podcast. And that's why there's a shortage of podcast equipment. But that wouldn't be true for us because the stuff we use here is not cheap. So there can be no shortage. You know, look at all these video outlets that are now trying to go into audio and they're doing these, these Skype interviews and it doesn't feel the same. And it's just, it's not working. And they can't wait to get back to the video stuff because it ain't helping their numbers. I know Tebbit and Coogan were on their little thing. Cool. Like I've said before, I've never seen... I'm going to just zero in on, on Boxing Rodent for now. I haven't seen a brand with such a small social media footprint, yeah, in terms of likes, retweets, shares, and so forth, across all platforms. I haven't seen anyone that small do a million views. It, like, it's like the whole bear shitting in the woods thing, right? If the bear shits in the woods and no one sees it, did it happen? If Boxing Social do an interview and, they, and only 40 people see the tweet, how are you being directed to that tweet? Like, you're not. You're just not. Because if it was that easy, why are Coca-Cola spending so much money? How are you, you you're getting a million views? And... And I know people like to give plausible explanations about how YouTube work and claim to be experts, but this is one thing I know for absolute certain. And I know this because I've spoken to people who have these social media optimization services, right? If I offer a service where I say, listen, you can buy 5 million views off me and you can cut these up by however many videos you want, just give me the links to the videos and we'll go. I'm only going to deal with those videos in the order I think they should go in. Now, if I'm not a boxing fan, I might give the John Fury Caravan interview 800,000 views, and I might give the Anthony Joshua interview 200,000, because I don't really know what boxing fans expect to see. And that's why these numbers are illogical. I refuse to believe that 800,000 people want to see John Fury's Caravan. I just don't believe that's true. And here's a question I don't mind you guys asking Rob Tebbett or anyone at Boxing Social. Actually, what's the, what's the chick's name? Is it Davina or Davinia? Ask Davinia, Davina. Ask her, because she's the whole boss of this thing. Yeah, she's the, the boss of the bosses. Ask her how, when I first outed this last year, the, the, the Coogan Cassius and Rob Tebbett podcast had done 86,000 spins, and I didn't even believe it then. That same podcast has now done 191,000 spins. So now you've got to tell me where an extra 105,000 people have come from who wanted to watch that. That's all. That's my only question. Where have 105,000 people appeared from to watch old content, right? I've been doing this podcast thing for long enough. You do not get those sorts of spikes. You might get an extra 20 because someone goes, do you remember when he said it on this episode? You might get an extra 20 or 30. 105,000 extra spins. Think about that. 105,000 spins. That is more 
than their content has generated to this point on Boxing Social in this lockdown. And think of all the people they've had on there and all the content they've stolen from Instagram. Think of all that content and it doesn't add up to supposed random people who went back to listen to Coogan, Cassius and Rob Tebbett speak. 105,000. But when they spoke this weekend, even on IFL, it was like 25, 26,000 when I looked. And on Boxing Social, it was like, what, one and a half thousand. So I'm supposed to believe 191,000 human beings chose to listen to Coogan, Cassius and Rob Tebbett talk. And you guys are still sipping this Kool-Aid that tells you, oh, these numbers are all clean. Just that. For, I'll, <laughs> I will accept every other number from every other channel if someone can explain to me how that went from 86,000 to 191,000. And the only explanation you can have is someone messed up when they were jimmying the numbers. They put it in the wrong place. Because... No one's seen those numbers. I don't even think Joe Rogan has seen a spike like that. 105,000 extra listeners on old content. And remember, YouTube works on this principle of recency. The older the content is, the lower down the rankings it is. I will, I will stop this. If, if, if the rat wants to answer this, let him do it on this platform. 105,000 extra listens, views. Where did they come from? Show us the data. Show me that graph over a year. Just that one video. Post it on social media so we can see. Because it can't just be a spike. It's going to have to be a gradual, like, you know, want to see a manageable curve, a logical curve. That's my challenge. Put it out there. That's the only thing. Like, forget everything else. I can believe everything else if you can prove that one to me. Because that went from 86, which looked massively inflated based on what they can currently do, looks massively inflated all the way to 191,000. And Boxing Social, a company set up by an online marketing company that does what? That buys space on social media and helps you optimize your Google searches. All of this stuff here. All the stuff that would help you jimmy up your numbers is exactly what Chalk Global or Chalk Social or Chalk whatever the hell it is who own Boxing Social, that is exactly what they do for a day job. And now I'm supposed to believe that Boxing Social doesn't take advantage of that. That's like me being a racing team and I'm owned by Ferrari and I don't say, guys, can I borrow an engine? I'll just go, I'll just make the engine myself, Ferrari. Thank you very much. It's ridiculous. But I need to duck out now and go and enjoy my weekend. Look, really appreciate you guys listening. As always, like, share, retweet. And let's get answers to that question. Where did the extra 105,000 come from? That's all we want to know. Cheers, guys. Take care.